0: All right. Welcome back, listeners, to the YMBO podcast with Alexis and
1: And Sugar Melody. All right. And we have a special guest today for episode
0: two. All right. So today we'll be welcoming on uh, Amber Swanson. Um, She is going to share a little bit about herself. So without further ado, Amber, you want to say hello to our listeners?
2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Happy to kind of talk about my journey in the corporate and um, yeah, happy to be here.
0: Great. So everybody always wants to know when you tell them that you work in corporate, how did you get there? What are you doing? Like, how did you break into corporate? I've been trying and it just seems like this ever elusive place or whenever you're working somewhere in a non-corporate life it's oh, well, I'm going to call corporate. Well, how is it being the corporate that they're calling? So um, we want you to just share a little bit about your, yourself, like where you currently live, the industry you work in, and then maybe like an interesting hobby. For sure. So um, I currently live in
2: Chicago and right now I work in um technology sales operations for um, one of the big tech companies, Amazon Web Services. So um, that's what I do. An interesting hobby of mine is archery. Started it last year, almost a year ago. I started taking up archery outside of work. Um, and yeah, happy to give sort of my career journey because I will be able to kind of speak to um, transitioning from government to corporate and some of the things that I learned along the way that may help others.
0: Good. And um, I know you all heard her say that she's going to be she's worked. She practices archery. So look out for her on the next (laughs) Olympics because I'm sure she's going to make it there. (laughs) <laughs> um, so you said you work in uh, technology, sales, operations. It's interesting
1: how, you know, technology is being paired with so many different, like everything now, because I, w- I remember when tech and legal was paired together, like before they used to be two distinguished things. But now there's more projects, you know, around tech and legal services and tech and sales and tech and pharmaceuticals. Yes. Yeah, so Absolutely. How did you? How did how did you ever feel like this is where you be and and you know? No, you so my career, career journey,
2: yeah, my career journey has been very fluid, and it's been a, a awesome ride so far. But yeah, I definitely want to first go back to the point about tech. Um, a lot of people talk about tech. That's just the industry I happen to work in now, so um, this is what I can speak to. But tech touches. Every single industry, every single sector, there's so much synergy between technology and retail, technology and marketing, technology and sales, like anything. So um, a lot of times when people talk about tech, they think, oh, or somebody say they work for a tech company, they think, oh, you're a software developer, or engineer, or you're mm-hmm. an actual techie. But there's right techie jobs, the technical folks, and there's non-technical jobs at the at these tech companies. And there are a lot of opportunities for non-technical folks to work at a tech company. So uh, I'll definitely kind of get into that as I go into my career journey. But that's something that, you know, one thing I want to throw out there as well, um, a lot of opportunity in tech. And you don't have to know how to code you don't have to be a developer in order to access those opportunities because you know where there's technology where there's industry there's business and business encompasses a lot of different moving parts in order to work and one part is the technical aspect but like majority of the other parts are non-technical as well So. Just I'm, I'm glad you brought
0: there. that up because when I was on my job hunt, I was surely applying for some tech-based roles and I don't know one bit about coding outside of building a MySpace page. And mm-hmm. am I dating myself a bit? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um you shared about what industry you currently work in, but can you tell us a little bit more about how did you get there? And I mean, take us from like, Take it from the beginning to now. Like, I graduated, I'm a fresh college grad, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, she
1: graduated like, from the Duke <laughs> University first and foremost.
2: <laughs> yes, I, I'm going to take it a little bit further, earlier than that, okay? So, it was 2009, and I was <laughs> a freshman at Duke University, and um, I had my heart set on being a doctor, being a physician. So I entered, started college and ended college actually as a pre-medical student. So with the intent to apply, and go to medical school. So while I was in college, taking all my classes, um, got to senior year, started taking the MCAT, which is the standardized test uh, that you need to take, entry test to get into medical school. Wasn't really happy with the grades without the results that I was getting on those MCAT uh, tests. So then I decided to take a gap year. So among pre-medical students, there's this thing called a gap year, which is pretty common where, you know, soon after graduation, instead of going right into a medical school, you take a gap year to either, uh, you know, Do an additional program, take, uh, uh, get a certificate or something, or in my case, go get a a relevant but separate degree. So after graduating college, I had a bachelor's of arts in sociology and chemistry mining. I was pre-med. Um, But I wasn't ready to go straight to medical school. So I opted to take a year to go get my master's of public health. Um, So then I went to uh, public health school, basically, and started taking graduate courses there. And while I was in school, I realized that, hey, there's other opportunities to work in the healthcare field outside of being a doctor. There's other opportunities to make an impact on the health of my community without actually being a physician. Um, And one of the biggest lessons I learned from going to graduate school and learning about different fields, other opportunities, meeting uh, students who are in different health-related graduate programs is that it really benefits you to have an open mind when it comes to career progression, Career trajectory and what you want to do. So, I went in. I went to grad school, saying, "Hey, I'm just doing this for a year. I want to be a doctor." But then I learned about different fields, um, like public health, working for government health agencies, or health economics, working for uh, pharmaceutical companies. I had a really good friend in graduate school who was a dosimetrist, and dosimetrist. Um, they basically uh, own uh, the levels of chemo that cancer patients get. They'll look at um, all the medical images and determine, you know, how much chemo a patient should get and be with that patient throughout the process. And I've never heard of that <laughs> field, never heard of those semesters before going to graduate school and meeting people. And um, it was funny because that friend, she was in a dosimetry program and it was literally a one-year program. And you graduated and you're a dosimetrist and you go work for a hospital, right? Working in oncology practices. And it was like, you know, and it, ha- and it came with, you know, high salary, you're, you know, a degree wow. physician and everything. And I was like, Who, who, you know, if I knew that there were other opportunities to be actually a medical professional, right, outside of a doctor, outside of physician assistants, outside of these programs that take four, five, seven years with residency and stuff to do. Like, there are so many opportunities out there that you just don't know about, Um, but you got to be open to, uh, you know, meeting new people, learning about new things, and it can really take your career in a way that you know was unexpected, and that's like the theme of my career journey. So, um, I'm in graduate school. Graduated with my Master's of Public Health. Um, a lot of people who get a, a MPH, that's the short term for a Master's of Public Health. Um, you either go like directly to um, work for government, like your state, your state or your county's Department of Health, or you try to go get a job at the CDC down in Atlanta, or um, you go work for like nonprofit community-based programs. And so I um, got a job. I actually graduated, applied for a ton of jobs for nine months and hardly got any interviews. But finally after nine months, I got an interview with uh, uh Epidemi- office for the state of Hawaii. So I ended up going to work for the state of Hawaii within their Department of Public Health um, doing research and things like of that nature. So Started off in uh, state government, basically. Uh, worked for the state of Hawaii for about two years and then um, due to the nature of working for the state government, government you're funded by grants a lot and um it was a time when uh President Trump was elected into office so we changed uh presidential administrations and there was uncertainty around um, just grant funding, uh government grant funding and all those things like what programs. Well are Amber, be can cut. we
1: back you up real quick to yeah. what it took to even take that leap to move all the way to Hawaii and um like, what made you say yes? Uh, were there fears around that? Because I feel like a lot of people, when they, when they are like looking for a career, sometimes they might feel like this is like outside of my scope. And, um, there, and then they kind of like talk themselves out of it. So, like, what made, what made you say yes? And we'll like, how would, needs, where do you think, with... think your career had gone had you not taken that leap? She was deep into yeah.
0: it. She
1: hadn't said she was
2: going to Hawaii oh. yet. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I probably wouldn't yeah. have to touch on that topic. But, um, yeah, thanks, Melody. That's a good question. So for me, another big theme of my career journey and how I approach career trajectory and progression is being flexible and being flexible within your limits, within your lifestyle or whatever you have going on. I I was much more flexible um, when I was younger than I am now. So um, a couple of things that led me to making that big leap, because I was uh, living in North Carolina after graduating from graduate school. So I went from North Carolina all the way uh, to Hawaii and Pacific Ocean. And it was a couple of things. um, Based on my experience, it really helps when you're looking for a job or looking for that next career step um, to be flexible, if you can be open to move around, because you're not all, you may not always have opportunities where you are and that has nothing to do with you. And it just has to do with, you know, the job market where you are um, at that time it has a lot to do with timing. Um, it has a lot of, to do with, um, you know, different areas, pay more or pay less or have more companies that are headquartered there. So the availability of opportunities will be different where you are. And you may find that the right opportunity for you or the company that's calling you back or excited to interview you may not be a company where you live at, at the moment. And so for me, after interview, applying, and sort of interviewing for nine months, nine months is a long time. I graduated from graduate school and I'm telling you, like month six, my mom was, my mom was like, what's going on? (laughs) Do do you want to think about joining the military? Because you can go, you know, get job really fast and that's, you know, honorable (laughs) career path that, you know, some of your family has gone down, what you want to do? Shout out to
0: these moms.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to everyone who serves and who has served. Right. Right. But that was not a life that I was trying to live right then at the moment. So, yeah, it took a long time. You know, everybody kind of goes through, everybody sort of talks about how bad, how hard the job market is even now. But, yeah, It can be hard at any time. It was hard back then, mm-hmm. before COVID, when I was in school, out of school. It
0: took me nine months to get And that was from someone who, who had a college degree from one of the Christine top universities resume. in the nation, had a professional degree. And still, it took nine from months.
1: This is to someone university. who, on
0: paper, who did everything right. And it still took them... Over half a year to find a role, and not this isn't all oh, getting interviews and getting offers and like oh I'm too good for that. No, it's like I'm putting my pedal to the
1: metal I'm consistently. And admired. the opportunity that presented itself took you out of your comfort zone.
2: That's right. And going back to like when I went to graduate school in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I would have loved to stay there. Um, and this this next point is just a testament to like it's not you, it's just happenstance or circumstance. So I was applying to jobs in Philadelphia, public health jobs in Philadelphia. And, you know, for for some of those city jobs, you, um, for some government jobs, you have to go in and like take a test and then wait until you get those results back and then they'll start hiring everything. I know, I feel like I took an exam in Philadelphia for a position, maybe like three months after graduating. And then, you know, went through the next six months trying to get a job. Finally getting a job in Hawaii. And while I'm in Hawaii, you know, like two months later, I get the call back for the Philadelphia job. It just oh took my goodness. It just took that long. You know, yeah. especially for like sometimes for government positions and things, it, it's a really long process. So it just all really yeah. depends. Um like where the opportunities are and how fast they show up. The Hawaii job was also a government opportunity, but the hiring manager was very eager to get people on board. It was a, a type of grant where um, they could allow them to hire a little bit faster. Uh, sometimes geographies like for me, um, when I was looking for jobs, you know, when you look for jobs, you post to have in your mind, you know, a number in terms of salary wise and compensation wise what you're willing to, you know, work for what you're not willing to work for. When I was living in North Carolina, I was finding that the jobs, entry level jobs for like public health that I was looking at, they were the salaries were too low for me in terms of what my personal mm-hmm. uh, you know, thresholds and and range was. The salaries were too low. So there was a lot of jobs I I wasn't applying for. Um, but you know, salaries and for some companies in North Carolina or in some um, smaller states that don't have, you know, big uh, metropolitan cities, they may be lower than obviously like a New York or a Chicago or a California. Um, but, you know, higher uh, salaries in some of these areas also comes with higher cost of living. But um, that was another factor in terms of, uh, you know, why I chose Hawaii, why I didn't, you know, settle for something in North Carolina. Um, the salary was just a little bit too low for me for some of the roles um, that I saw in North Carolina. Um wasn't really getting callbacks for just <laughs> some of the jobs in North Carolina. So when Hawaii came, it was like, well, okay, that was actually my first job offer since I graduated. Now I, I I may have done some interviews that didn't result in a job offer, but that was my first job offer. And um for me personally, I'm I'm someone who likes to travel, likes to try new things. So it wasn't as scary for me, but I knew that, you know, the opportunity was here, was there, not in North Carolina. And and mm-hmm. for me, when you talk about career positions, pre- career progression and, and career trajectory and building your career, you got to go where the opportunities are sometimes, you know, and sometimes yeah. they're, they're in different places and it really helps if you are able to have that flexibility, if you're able to be like, okay, I'm going to move to a different state. If that company provides relocation assistance, that's, you know, a big plus um, or, If you think that, hey, I'm gonna do what I can to make the move. So for me, the Hawaii job, they actually didn't even offer relocation assistance. I actually took out a personal loan from a bank to, like, you know, buy the plane ticket, pay my first and last month's rent on my apartment, you know, have some money for that first month before I got my first paycheck. I actually took out a personal loan. That was an investment in me. Right. I took out a personal loan in order to make that move. And sometimes it does take, you know,
0: extraordinary,
2: betting on yourself, Mm -hmm. stepping out on a limb for yourself, Um, you know, but you can think it through, you know, you got a job. The the paycheck is going to come. So I knew the paycheck was going to come. So it wasn't going to be a problem. I knew like, don't borrow too much or anything, but sometimes it takes Being flexible and betting on yourself, as Alexis said, as well as, you know, taking the necessary actions needed in order to make that move, to take advantage of a certain opportunity.
1: But since that first job offer, you haven't really had any issue from there, right? So...
2: In the grand scheme of things, no, but I also want to note that even with this very vibrant career that I've had, and we only, we're just talking about first job, we haven't gotten to the (laughs) other ones, (laughs) but between jobs, I have also experienced sending out a bunch of applications and not hearing back or getting ghosted, but then people coming back or I've experienced all that and still have, you know, had good career opportunities show up. Um So I definitely don't want to paint it as, you know, oh, this has been an easy road and and you know haven't encountered any difficulties because I have. But those difficulties don't matter. They 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 haven't <laughs> mattered. So uh yeah, just want to paint temporary. a realistic picture. Yeah, temporary and you know. For me, it doesn't matter. Once you get that offer for the job that you do want, and when the job comes, nothing bad that happened before that even matters anymore. So, exactly. Put that out
0: there, and we've all seen like the LinkedIn posts where people say, "Oh, I put in all I need is one yes. All I need is one yes." Mm-hmm. Um, people have seen that. That's I mean, true. With first first time in business, all I need is that first. Yes, for someone to take me seriously and then mm-hmm. look at how your business is taken off, shot right off. And it doesn't mean that you haven't experienced some nose or some ghosting. It's a part of they
2: the don't game even matter.
1: It's really a part of the game.
2: It's a part of the game. When I'm applying for jobs or I talk to somebody who's like in the middle of applying for jobs. I'm like, it's crazy, but it is a numbers game. Like you have to put the applications out there and you may be the best thing. Or you meet all the qualifications, you will be a great fit. Um, and you won't hear back. And sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Sometimes it has to do with timing or maybe they already had an internal candidate and they were just posting as a mm-hmm. formality or maybe they already, somebody who submitted an application two days before you and they were like, yeah, this person's awesome too. That doesn't a takeaway from your awesomeness, but they found a person that they're looking under or, you know, they're at 50 applicants and they're ready to move forward and stop taking in new applicants. You know, some, after a while, you've had a job mm-hmm. posting there is a time yeah. where you just stop taking new applicants, <laughs> whether they're good or, or bad. So sometimes it's, it's just out of your control, basically. And, and that results in you having to really, you know, Spread those spread your effort. You just have to put out more applications. And there's opportunities everywhere. I wanna say that company that you dream of working at, who you think that's the only place for you, it's not. There's other companies that you have never heard of, <laughs> or other opportunities out there that would be just as great. And you know, maybe you might not get a chance to work at that company now, but you'll have an opportunity in the future you never know but you know don't be too like gun holed and stuck on a particular path or a particular company even a mm-hmm. particular role unless you're mm-hmm. like you want to be a doctor or you want to be a lawyer but even then i have met people who went to medical school and don't practice they went to medical school to get that degree and then they
1: did something i had a boss that was a lawyer business. Business. who decided to become a nurse but then she you know? wanted to like mix the two. Yes, example.
2: it's so much mixing of the two. I know people who I graduated. They was like, "Yeah, I'm going to medical school, but I want to open up. A, I want to own my own hospital one day." And it's like, mm-hmm. you own the hospital, you you not treating patients. You the owner of the hospital, but you know, right. <laughs> like, there's so many opportunities and and in this world, you actually can kind of create your own opportunities too. But you know that's a another story.
0: So, <laughs> so don't box yourself in. Don't um, box yourself but after in. After Hawaii, so moving on to oh yeah, okay.
2: So this is a, another example of you know I feel what people are going through and the the headaches of applying for a job. So um once um we got the new President Trump got in the office. And we didn't know if the current grants he was working on were going to be extended. I started, you know, looking for jobs, job security. One thing about me, I'm always gonna be looking <laughs> at what's out there. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean I'm trying to leave, but I'm I always know what job opportunities are popping up. And I'm always I always have an idea of, oh. That sounds interesting. Maybe I'll apply to this kind of role in the future or this kind of role. Uh, So I started looking and um, sent out a bunch of applications, had some interviews, didn't hear back from some folks. I actually started working for a different uh, group within the state of Hawaii government. I went to go work for the insurance commissioner's office um, for a couple months. And then I got a call back from... um, IBM, um, which was where I went to work at second, uh, my second job in my career, IBM Watson hell. And it was funny because I didn't even remember applying to this job. <laughs> and that just that's just a, a statement of how many jobs I was applying to and not hearing <laughs> back from people. Um, so IBM reached out and it was a good fit. So this was my first like interview with a corporate company. Uh, But it just so happened that the work that they were looking to hire people to do was basically a clinical claims research. I was doing that same kind of research for the state of Hawaii. So one point we kind of talked about earlier, like how do you get into corporate? Um, A Mm -hmm. lot of times the companies in corporate are doing the same things, doing the same kind of work that's being done Mm -hmm. in nonprofits or in government. As long as you find that connection, like, hey, I did this, but I did this in a nonprofit uh, space, but you're doing it here for your for-profit company. But it was the same thing. That's a connection. That's the easy way to jump into corporate. Um, so we were doing the same thing. Um, recruiter reached out like, hey, we want to interview interview you. Let's set up a time. I sent some dates and then she ghosted me. I didn't hear from that IBM recruiter for another like month and a half and so mm-hmm. I'm thinking okay maybe they changed their mind They won't talk to me so I started my little my second job uh, for the state of Hawaii I was uh, about two and a half months in and the recruiter sent me an email again and was like hey sorry we had to like take down the post and repost it because you know there was some internal things going on and we had to restructure the position or Mm -hmm. something you know whatever an excuse an excuse that was out of my control that had nothing to do with me as a candidate and she was like but we're back do you want to interview again so i was ghosted by this lady and then she came back interviewed and then eventually got the job and then so i left my second role in hawaii three months in (laughs) to that role (laughs) i left and moved to chicago and so, um,
1: another Extreme big difference move from there. Hawaii.
2: <laughs> yeah, another big move. However, um, again, um, there was a bigger and better opportunity in Chicago. Um, that job at IBM, I was making almost like almost double my salary going over there, and you know, big reputable company. Um, it was with their, in their Watson health group. So it was a chance to kind of work on, get, um, tech products and AI and everything that was like cool and trending, you know, Mm -hmm. during that time, it's still cool and trending now, obviously, but it was like, oh, here's a chance to, um, double your salary, work on some cool things, get some new experience. Um, and for me, I was in the same situation where, Hey, you know, there's a bigger and better opportunity over here. Is is this going to be better for my career? Yes, there, you know, I had a good job in Hawaii, but, um, you know, be open and take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. There was also for that move from Hawaii to Chicago. That was a big move as well. Right, going back to the mainland from Hawaii, I wasn't making a whole lot of money in Hawaii. I was making enough, but not enough to, you know, okay, have to get a whole new apartment again. Apartments um, that actually cost a little bit more than Hawaii from where I was living in Hawaii. Um, So, took out another loan from another from my Hawaii bank to make that move. IBM wasn't offering relocation assistance either. Now, there are some companies that are really good at that. So that's great. But don't (laughs) let that stop you. You know, this is another conversation for another day. But that's why having credit is important and a credit history. Mm. And you can kind of start that stuff in uh, college and everything. And if you do right by it, you know, something like, a company, you have a job opportunity, but they're not providing a relocation. You know, if the salary's there, you know when you're going to get paid, you can take out that loan in order to make it happen. So uh, keep your credit right, everybody. That's another (laughs) side tip. (laughs) Um, But then I went to IBM Watson Health, worked there for about two years doing clinical claims research before I kind of got, you know, a little uh tired or kind of bored uh with the research that I was doing um because it was sort of like you do the same kind of research or you do it one year and then the next year you just kind of update the years right and Mm -hmm. I was looking for you know a chance to get more technical hands on experience here I worked at a tech company um you know being a technical, being a techie, being a technical person was, you know, uh, very popular Then You started hearing about, you know, the Googles mm-hmm. and the Amazons and the Apple and like how much you can earn in tech and how cool it is. And they mm-hmm. were hiring so many people. So I'm already at a tech company. So I'm like, hey, let me try to gain some skills, um, which is another important thing in terms of Career progression is always being willing to learn, always trying new things, building new skills. Um, especially if you're at a company, take advantage of any like opportunities you can. It's a lot easier to like build new skills within a company versus like you trying to get an entry level job for a role that you kind of don't have skills in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's easier to kind of get that experience um, where while you're are. already at a, yeah where you at where you are before. Let's say you want to be a, a software engineer or something, and let's say even you, they have boot camps. So if you do a boot camp, you might find it is still kind of hard to get like entry level <laughs> jobs in that space because you don't have the work experience, right? Um, so. If you can get that work experience, even if it's a side project, a volunteer type thing at the company you're at, always, you know, look for those opportunities and do that. So was able to uh, take advantage of, um, you know, some roles, opportunities while I was at IBM to work on like chatbots and work with DevOps teams Mm -hmm. and like, you know, working a whole different capacity outside of research and uh, like data analytics and stuff, and that was very cool. Um, while I was there, at IBM Watson Health, that part of the company got sold off. They started laying people off. Um, I didn't personally get got laid off, but uh, another tip: once you're in the corporate world, is always be aware of what's going on with your company. Okay, mergers and acquisitions. Mergers and acquisitions. You, you know, you see an article: so and so was looking to buy this yep. company, or your company is looking for sellers. You need to be in high alert, and you need to start, you know, start looking for other opportunities. You know, um, IBM Watson Health was eventually sold, and I know people who didn't get laid off; they just went with the company where it went. Um, but I know some people who did get laid off. I wasn't going to give enough time to find out for myself right <laughs> i'm like as soon as i'm like oh y'all thinking about selling let me look for <laughs> another opportunity outside of this just in case just and in no case.
0: company can blame you blame any of you listeners yeah for, or be upset with you for looking out for your best interest because anyone who works mm-hmm. for the company I mean, because they, they didn't look out for, out for the, the best workers' interest. best interests. <laughs> they're looking out they're for the best interests of the company. So yeah. you need to look out for yourself just like they're looking out for the company's best interest. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Major keys being dropped.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, always be aware of what's going on with your company. And sometimes that'll, you know, push you into looking for a new opportunity. So that's what happened. And so that's how I ended up at my next position, which was doing research again. Um, So up until now, every role, except for the chat box that I was working on, was all research related. Um, I guess that can be tied back to another tip, which is. You know, even early as college, but you can do it at any point in your career, figure out, you know, what fields have the opportunities, right? There's a lot of opportunities everywhere. But like for instance, back during this time, I guess it was what probably like twenty eighteen or twenty sixteen, like tech was really big. There was a lot of data mm-hmm. there was a lot of hiring around that, you know, if you could align yourself with tech. Um, for me, uh research, data analytics, there's always so much opportunity mm-hmm. in data analytics because every company, you know, produces data and yeah. they want to know insights from that data. And so I was very fortunate to be into research and data analytics and statistics, you know, naturally. Um, so there was like a lot of opportunities for that. The government was doing research, the corporate for-profit companies are doing research, nonprofit comp- uh, organizations are doing research, everybody. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, finding what field especially like if you're a college student like finding fields that have a lot of job opportunities big markets and all you have to do is like it it doesn't have to be like your life's passion
1: <laughs> but you
2: like it enough to do it and you find some kind of interest in it and and there's a market for it that's a path you should go down versus, you know, what do what do I love? I mean, you can definitely do on. what you can do what you love, but I'm just gonna say, hopefully, do what you love, but love. gain
1: translatable skills. Exactly. And that's what I was gonna build
0: on. In college, you're this college student now in the middle of your road and you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And you say, well, you know, I am really interested in something that is doesn't appear to be lucrative at all. It's not one of those hot industries and you're like well, I'm not into tech, or I'm not into this, or into that. But just like Amber stated at the beginning of this episode, um, tech touches every industry. Um, the role I'm into HR. HR touches every industry. Melody has a legal background. If you, you know know how to write. have the right stuff, right, <laughs> you make know sure how to you produce find data. What you like, find a way for what you like to fit into those hot industries, and I guarantee you, you will find your way in
2: yes absolutely and also for me everything is temporary everything is fluid you know that saying it takes money to make money or mm-hmm. um you know what you might be super passionate about may not be like a lucrative career or something maybe you want to be That's a full-time true. artist or something but i <laughs> guess what practically speaking in order for you to achieve that full-time artist. You know, level and not be like I don't know, super struggling or something. Like sometimes you do have to, you know, pick do something that you like, but it's not like your life's passion. In order so you can do your life passion uh, or something you're passionate about, either on the side as a hobby or work and you know work leverage what you're doing that you like to help you do what you love at a later date um that's that's like very key to me as well to be honest with y'all I tell my friends this sometimes like my like dream job my dream career is to be a full-time philanthropist I don't want to work I just want to like give out money and like help people (laughs) and that's what I want to do but in order for me to do that I um, mean, I do it on a on a small level now, but in order to do that like full time, that's what I'm doing. You know, I have to amass some monies in order to yeah. do that. Cause I I wanna give away my money. You know, I wanna be like, you know, Bill Gates level. I don't wanna be I don't necessarily need to be a billionaire. But you know, Bill Gates is rich. He has his for the foundations. <laughs> yeah, he has his foundations yeah. and you know, that's what he does now. He's not, you know, he's not, you know, at a tech company, you know, figuring out what's going on with tech company and everything like that. He is, has his foundations. He has his, you know, philanthropy that he does. And that's what he kind of does full time. I just want to sit back and give. But anyways, um, I know that I can leverage my career that I'm doing that I like um, to do something that I'm passionate about in the future. I mean I'm passionate about going to the beach and chilling okay
1: but, <laughs> You know so but it, is that how you maintain your your uh your balance while you're working in the corporate sector and I feel like we've heard lots of horror stories when it comes to black people working in corporate spaces I I just want to know and Like, what has your experience been like? Is it that traditional or classic horror story that we've seen on the very pop viral LinkedIn post or um, what has that been like for you as a black woman navigating, you know, working at the IBMs and Amazons of the world?
2: Um, It's been a mixture. So for the most part, it's been great. I haven't had um, too many horror stories all of my managers have been great. I have, all my team members have been great. Um I have, you know, locks. I've had froze, you know, I <laughs> have tattoos, you know, I don't cold switch as much when, you know, I'm <laughs> at work. Like throughout my career, I have been fortunate to be, you know, able to, Feel comfortable at my companies, be myself. Um, it was uh, so awesome when I first started at IBM. You know, you do like your onboarding training, like new hire trainings and everything. They had, um, you know, one video, it was an animated video, so sort of like a cartoon. And, you know, of course, they had different ethnicities represented in everything, different languages. But they had, you know, someone on that, uh, animation who was black with locks and that was like my first time kind of seeing that you know in training work trainings and everything like you know especially as an animation it's you know even better if you see a real person but um you know (laughs) i was like that's very cool they love me here um (laughs) in hawaii when i was in hawaii um hawaii is obviously a very diverse uh punch of Um, state and um, you know they had people who work for the state with like face tattoos but I was like part of their culture it was very accepted so I have some really good experience um but I've also had some like you know uh questionable kind of interactions um with folks with with clients um Mm -hmm. I've had some you know very like ignorant comments or ignorant statements Mm -hmm. uh come from clients where you know it's just you you hear it and in the moment you're like huh oh, or you you think about it later that day you're like oh why did they say that um you know i had one client i uh, went to go visit give a presentation i was with my coworker um that was our first time meeting them in person um and i'm not like a a camera person when i do uh a virtual calls, but I guess i never they never see me on camera or something. Um, so we get there, and one of the ladies is like, "Oh, I expect you to look like this" or something, some comment like that. And I'm just like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, "Well, I do." In the moment, I was like, "Well, this is what I look like." Ha ha ha! You know, I kind of just like in the moment, kind of brushed off, kept it moving. But later on, I thought about, I you know, sit back and thought about it, and it was like you know, what does she be, my dad? Or that was a weird comment to say to me. You know what I mean? Mm. She didn't say it to my coworker or anything. Um, you know, I was another situation. I was at a a client dinner, you know, with different people who worked at our uh, customer client company. And, you know, they made a comment about another black woman in the restaurant. And then I'm just like, mm. well, why do you feel that way? Or like. Uh, you know, just I don't want to get into details, but it's very much kind of like you know, very like random, in a or uncomfortable like comments that you know come out from people. Um, so I've definitely had those experiences, um, within corporate, but um, me personally. I don't like to dwell too much on any of those. I don't let them kind of taint my experience, all the good experience that I've had during my work careers. And whether you're in corporate, out of corporate, when you just work with people, just working with people, there's opportunities for things like that to happen because there's... Mm -hmm. Very diverse populations, people with different beliefs, people with different upbringings, people with different ways of just interacting socially with others at the companies that we work for. And so um, I think it's hard to completely avoid, but you can manage how you let it affect you and how you respond to uh, things like that. But I've never had um, anything like super bad, um, bad experiences in terms of that.
1: A, some people would just leave jobs after that one experience by allowing it to define their entire experience there. Um, so I, I really love to hear it. It is refreshing to kind of hear it on the other side because we always hear the negative. We don't get enough stories about, you know, positive experiences and mm-hmm. in the workplace and highs and things that we appreciate about each other. Um, as much as we hear about those, you know, moments that those uncomfortable those moments, cringy moments, yeah.
0: I will say, um, having not worked in corporate as as long as Amber has, I've experienced way more moments outside of corporate
1: that were cringy than I did within corporate, and I've experienced some cringy moments. But maybe the nonprofit sector, and as much as in as warm and fuzzy as it is, has been. And people are just now trying to start talking about how the cultures, some cultures are bad, some cultures are in the nonprofit space where we're all about people and loving and supporting each other. But then those of us that are doing that work are treated, you know, horribly. So um I think it's right. Like, it doesn't really matter where you are so long as you're interacting with people like it, the space you, you contribute to creating that. That culture, um, and so do those people around you. So it's not, it's not really, um, about any particular industry as it is where people are showing up and, and what they're doing. So yeah.
0: So Amber, um, working in corporate and working in a salaried role, a lot of times people, I've heard people who are in those types of roles who say they have a hard time managing their work life balance. Because you would think that when you are uh, working remotely, that it would be easy to just shut things out or not or not. But I had a manager once who I watched that he was in meetings all day long, literally from the start of the day to the end of the day. He was doing a lot of after hours work to get his job done. And I want to know your take on it. How do you manage your work life balance as far as not letting work take up too much of your time or not on the flip side, not giving work enough attention?
2: Um, yeah, so one one tip that I can give is it won't really help your day-to-day, but if your company offers you a paid time off, take that paid time off. You legally are, you know, you can legally take that paid time off. Can nobody tell you, you know, get mad at you for taking it. And so... One one of the ways that I um try to keep work life balance is I always take my PTO. I'm the person who is really counting the minutes because <laughs> I don't took so much PTO and I might not have. <laughs> Do I have enough for this last trip of the year? Like I'm using it. I never have any rolled over because that time is for you, and it's legally given to you. You can legally take it. Um, I know you can let it accrue, and um, you know sometimes you you can cash it out if you leave. You know, um, I if that's going to help you in the short term. You know, some people may not use it. They know they're going to leave to another job so they can get it cashed out. I understand that. But if you have it, use it. Always, always use that. Um, Another way um, that I try to achieve work life balance is definitely setting boundaries. Now, I'm very fortunate that for the companies that I work for and the managers that I work for, um, you know, they're not so rigid or anything where I feel like I can't speak up for myself or I can't like set boundaries with them or I can't, you know, log off on the computer at a certain time. You know, it's not to say that I don't work late night sometimes, um, but it's not a constant thing. I have a thing where, you know, I'll work till 530, maybe even six. And so after that, I'm closing the computer and i'm not seeing your messages and um i try not to get into the habit of like using my personal phone i have my personal mm-hmm. phone number on my emails, but if somebody from work called me on my on my personal phone i won't answer it because i don't even want to start sometimes you'll you know yeah. create patterns and you'll just kind of fall into patterns where you know You're working super late and then your company can depend on you to work super late or I can call, you know, I can call Amber on the weekend or I can call her at 7 p.m. if I need something. And they they take advantage
1: of that and they they take advantage of it it. and they
2: will. So you got to just not make yourself unavailable. I really make it a point to make myself unavailable sometimes and that helps. And trust me. For, I, I I truly believe for a lot of companies, that's not a fireball offense, okay? Maybe for some companies, they feel like, you know, you can't stay, everybody stay and work till 8 p.m. And if you don't, then, you know, you don't get let go or something. You know, you got to make a decision for yourself. That's a company that you want to work at long term, or if mm-hmm. you're going to do it short term and then may have an exit strategy, those are personal decisions, But for for I believe for a lot of companies, it's not a fireable offense to be to say or put the boundary in place. Like, no, I'm not gonna work. I'm not gonna come to work at eight and leave work at eight. Like, or oh, I I sent you an email, but you didn't respond to it. Well, it was at seven thirty p.m., so I was offline. Oh, I responded to it the next day. You know, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people
1: are. People feel Maybe like they have to do something, and so they're yeah. doing it out of obligation versus realizing that they do have a choice. And if they just make that choice and they can create that expectation.
2: Exactly. Like you can create expectations, and you'll be you may be surprised that people respect those. And they, you know, yeah. they might call somebody else. And whether you feel some type of way because somebody else is, you know, showing up and getting, you know, you feel like they're favored a little bit more because they answer the phone at seven. That's a personal choice to you. But um, a lot of times people will respect those boundaries. Um, it's great to see at companies where um, where, you know, some of my coworkers have families and kids and it's like, you know, oh, can mm-hmm. we have a 7 a.m. meeting? If somebody said no, I gotta take my kids to work, then that's the end of it. You know what I'm saying? Nobody pushes, nobody pushes back on, you know, people with families and kids. And so people without kids or, you know, family obligations, you also have a choice too. And you don't have to just have kids and make a choice. You know, you can set those boundaries just the same way, you know, folks with families set boundaries. And um, a lot of times it will be respected. Especially if you, you might have to set the boundary, reinforce it, reinforce that boundary a couple of times, but eventually, you know, they'll get it. But I do understand like different workplaces have different cultures, but sometimes it takes you to kind of help try to influence that culture a little bit, especially if it's not serving you in a positive way.
1: That's why I'm a big fan of the delayed sin, because even if I am working like the late night or the early morning I'm at least trying to schedule my email correspondence to, you know, be sent during normal business hours. So it just feels like this is normal business hours. You're still not expecting a reply outside of hours, even if I'm working outside of hours. That reply going to come, you know, at the beginning of the day when the office open, you know, sort of thing.
0: I've actually experienced more of the the culture is talked about a lot where yes we want to have work-life balance and we don't want you working after hours and you know log off and take time for yourself but I don't really see it at practices that much so it's more so just a good talk game and I, I completely agree with what you all are saying as far as like sometimes you have to be that one that actually puts it into action and see if people people gonna have to respect it whether they like it or not so it's up to you to kind of enforce that rule for yourself to say, you can keep calling me at eight o'clock at night, but I'm not going to, I'm going to continuously not answer. And, and same I know that working on 8.
1: vacation too. There are people that be out on PTO and they still I never do that. working on PTO. They still reply <laughs> to emails, no, no, showing no, up no, the no, meetings. Y'all. <laughs> y'all. that's all you go on vacation.
2: Like... <laughs> Keep your take. Your leave your computer. laptop at home. And I'm, ba- I'm bad. I'm bad at that anything. too. I don't well, I take can't... my laptop. I don't do. I don't download work apps to my cell phone for that reason and for like another reason. Mm. But, um, mm-hmm. but I try to keep it very separate.
0: Go ahead. Let's and I you. think you should. You should keep it separate. Um, and I, my my little rule is now if you have the privilege to be able to work remotely. And you don't take PTO for that vacation that you're on. You take your work laptop, take your work phone. Well, it's not a vacation (laughs) then. That's not a vacation. (laughs) But some people will take it and they'll say, oh, it's my little mini vacation. But if you had to put in PTO or if you have, you work for a company where you have unlimited PTO, if you had to say, I'm on PTO right now, I am not working. That is me putting my team on notice. and That also reinforces the importance of creating a good collaborative team environment. that your team can run for a few days or for however long you need to take PTO without your constant input.
2: Yeah. Another tip I have is block off your calendars. So when you're really busy, there's a phenomenon at work where you can really be in meetings all day and you don't even have time to actually do work because you're in meetings about the work. Um, at the company I'm at now, a lot of us we will block off our calendars. I block my, my calendar for a lunch time. I block it off uh for a work, a little short workout time if I want to go do a workout. If you need to go take a walk, block mm-hmm. block off your calendar for 30 minutes. Block it off for so nobody can like, you know, throw a meeting on your calendar. There's sometimes at work now, um People just throw meetings on your calendar, or they're on a meeting and they say, Oh, listen oh yeah, so and so can join really quick. Block your calendar off. Um, so that helps a lot as well. I mean, it's kind of bad. Some I've talked to some co workers and they have to block up their calendar to actually do work or not be yeah. in meetings, but <laughs> for the work life balance part, block off your calendar. Most of the time, people can't see what you block it off for. For me, I just put like call or appointment or out of office or BRB. You know, you don't have to tell anybody what you're doing or anything. If you, Especially if you work for a remote, it's very easy. Block off your calendar and get off the computer. If you work in an office, block off your calendar and go take your walk around the block outside. Get you some sunshine or something. Take a break. Take a mental break. Um, But blocking off the calendar definitely helps
0: as well. That is something I literally just... Started putting into practice and i am one of those sad people who has to black off block off my calendar to actually get work done but it's made a world of difference i've gotten off work closer to normal times over the last couple of weeks and i felt you know better about my input as far as everything i wanted to get done for today because i'm not going to go throughout the the week not getting the absolute deliverables done but everybody has their own personal goals that they want to get done too and those mm-hmm. things just consistent. We weren't getting done because I was in meetings all day, and I had to start blocking it off. And it, those. Meetings and when you're in demand, done. you
1: be having other people' goals too that they're trying to get done, and so now you're trying to get done this for this for this person and this for this person, and then you're just like, I can't even get my own stuff done because I'm over here helping everybody else with their stuff. I agree.
0: Okay, well. Um, I do have like a little non-traditional, weird question. I kind of want to start implementing for our guests. So, Amber, you'll be first up, and it kind of fits with the theme of uh, the the podcast title. Um, what is an insult that you've ever gotten that you're actually proud of? Something that someone thought that they were saying negative about you that you say, "Yes, I am that person. I'll be that." <laughs> oh, that's a
2: that's a interesting question. I might have to take. <laughs> some time to think about <laughs> about
1: that <laughs> so um well Melody do you mm. have an answer for the question an insult that I'm proud of I mean it's weird well, because like some exhausting. people might say
0: you're a perfectionist and you're like, oh you're 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 an overthinker blah, blah blah and you say well you know this actually benefits me because you say overthinker I say attention to detail
1: mm-hmm yeah, I'm trying to think. So it's funny because I'll say one thing. Um, I was in this leadership development class and they, as a part of it, they polled my supervisees about like my, my leadership style. So they first ask you, like they assess you on what you your um, interpretation or perception is of your leadership style. And then they survey your staff on their perceptions and their experience with your leadership style. And so, um, and, and they like to try to glean, like, the whole point you're supposed to take home is like, you may think you're, you think you're showing up one way, but it actually may be another way sort of situation. Um, or like how you think you're showing up may be different from those who, you know, you're leading. And so, um, but it actually turned out for mine, like, it, it was aligned with how I thought about myself. But there was one of my staff members that had kind of described my leadership staff style as delegated, like, which I found amusing because I really struggled. Like, this delegation is something that I've had to teach myself over the past, like, year. Um, so still very new to because I'm always someone who's like, I'll do it myself and like if you want it done right, then you're the person that gotta do it, sort of thing. So I feel like I do everything. But then once you know, once you once you <laughs> you're at a certain role and you're working at, you know, such a high level, you do have to understand the skill of being able to delegate. Um, so that is something that I was working on, but I really found it amusing that, that person saw that as my leadership style. Um, because one thing that I like to do with um, people that I lead is make sure that they have they're able to work on um, their own projects that they can take ownership of that interests them. Um, because I feel like there's not an, like some there's people that get told what to do. And then there's people that, you know, like want to innovate and want to do something different. Like Amber said, you you get bored. So like you want to work on this over here. So I always try to make sure I give, um, special projects to, to my team and for it to be seen as, Oh, like she's kind of maybe pushing off the work onto, to us was interesting. So it could be seen as an insult, but for me, I received it as like, great. I've been working on this and I did it. Good. <laughs> they think I'm delegate. I'm like, if they feel like I'm delegating, well, that's kudos to me because time I'm sure. for that Yeah. Yeah. I say mine
0: would probably be, um, people say like, oh, you know, you're long-winded or, you know, you talk too much or you spend too much time on this. But, um, some of the, like, I look at it as like a strength because I, I'm very thorough when it comes to my work and I like to kind of leave no stone unturned. And that served me well when like you're at the final hour and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I looked at this, I looked at that. So we already talked about this. So that's one that I won't be changing about me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I was able to think of, of a conversation that happened recently. Um, I was in a meeting, you guys, it was a meeting that I didn't have to be on. Um, that happens a lot sometimes in corporate. Um, so I kind of just stayed in the background of the meeting in observatory mode. Um Listen to everyone else have their meeting. I was sort of just was there just in case a question came up for me. Um, but at the end of the meeting, um, the host was like, "Oh, you know, Amber, you have anything you want to share? Any questions?" So I'm like, "Nope, I'm good. You guys kind of covered it." And he was like, "You're so quiet. That's not like Amber. That's not like you." Ha ha ha! Right? It was it was a joke, but it was sort of like, "Oh, Amber, does have anything to say now?" Um, but for me, you know, it just uh, attests to. Um, how comfortable I am now with myself and in the workplace of, you know, speaking out, being present in meetings, um, always uh, giving my opinion or what I think on something. Um, a lot of times in meetings I am talking. I am if I disagree with you, I'm going to let you know. Um, actually, the company I work, um, uh, disagreeing with folks is actually a, a leadership principle. So, um, it's not actually frowned upon. They actually want you to, you know, um, uh, you know, share your opinion, share your thoughts, even if it differs, um, from others. And so I think that's kind of what he was alluding to, right? I'm like, oh, Amber, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you don't, you have anything to say to us this <laughs> you time. <not> <laughs> So I was like, no, no, not this time. But you know, glad everyone knows that Amber will (laughs) tell. Well, she thinks, (laughs) and it's nice to be comfortable in a in a company and comfortable comfortable with the team to be able to do that. So
1: that's good. That is really good well and to create that expectation and it not be seen as like a combative personality so i think that's amazing to be able to have that sort of like this person may push back with you but it's not like this person's a a, you know difficult person to work with
2: yeah that's awesome and like like you said melody it's actually like baked into the company's culture which is like very cool for me so um and Mm -hmm. sort of uh, first time I'm kind of experiencing
1: that with the company. So, yeah, very cool. Because a lot of people look at disagreement as you know conflict Amen. and a problem, and and now it's this whole big theme because we we don't share the same opinion, and then people take stuff personal. And I wish actually more companies would explore that um, as a leadership quality or you know leadership principle. As Amber said, because so what really, I, mean I think is it should normalize opinions, that <laughs>
0: they have it listed, they say it in the interviews and in their principles and within their culture and their values that they want someone who isn't afraid to challenge. They want challenging opinions, but Amber's but they don't really living, want what they're asking for. <laughs> they're not acting on it. They're they have a good talk game, but they don't back it up with
1: action. <laughs> Segway into Q two already. We in. Um, and I know that um, a lot of companies were rolling out 2023 HR priorities for them. And I feel like there's been a lot of articles that kind of have stemmed from where priorities are lying when it comes to certain re- human resources initiatives. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, what do you think the priorities should be? Like, what should companies be focusing on for the rest of the year and, and I feel like some of that did come up in some of our prior discussion just around, I think, you know, hiring, um, and recruitment is so crucial, especially when it comes to trying to bring in the right person. Um, and the timeliness of it can really make or break, uh, your situation because there are companies that try to like expedite hiring recruitment for it to fill a need as quickly as possible. Um, and then there are others that take a lot of time and attention, but so much time and attention that uh they lose good candidates because people aren't going to wait a year, you know, to get a job. So right. uh what do you all think? So
0: I think. In terms of hiring and recruitment, there should be Well, you have to kind of find that nice middle ground because you can't. Try to hire so quickly and put so much pressure on your talent acquisition or recruiting teams that they are just trying to get someone to fill a seat. We want butts in seats. That's that's a term that I've heard thrown around the TA space. Um, that's not good. That's how you have that least a high turnover, whether it's by choice of the company to let these people go or the people saying this isn't a good fit for me because enough time wasn't spent on that. But like you said, to your point, if you if you take too long it is going to drive people away. Um, they're going to move on to better opportunities that got to them quicker. And right now we're starting to see the turnaround where um, more of the power is shifting a little bit back to the companies, It's not as much of the um, the trends that we saw where the applicants had all the cards. The in power. Their hands. It's, <laughs> it yeah, it's starting to, shi- starting to shift <laughs> a little bit. But I think one good side effect that came from um, the pandemic really was that people started to realize, like, I have more power than I think. It's not just mm-hmm. all on the company. I think that has had a lasting effect on um, our potential workforce. So keeping that in mind, it puts a tremendous amount of responsibility on our talent acquisition teams to say. We need to find quality talent. We need to get them in. We need to get them onboarding and trained in a quality and effective way. But retaining because that some, talent. That, and that's what I was getting at with the getting them onboarding in a, in a quality way, in an effective way, because you can bring some a great person on. And if they don't get the correct training for their particular role or their onboarding was a cluster, then. They're going to say this company doesn't have their ish together. I'm going to look elsewhere. I don't feel comfortable here.
1: But what keeps people like beyond, I guess, as far as prioritizing um, human resources priorities, because. We are in a world where, like, the candidate is, it really is about a company being more flexible to be able to fit the needs of their ideal candidate. And so now, you know, layoffs are a problem, but so is keeping quality employees. And Mm -hmm. so how can we make retention a human resources priority? But within that, you know, because I think that immediately translates to the culture um, But there's so much that goes into that. But like, what does it take to like retain someone? Because like Amber always says, some people are always looking, not even that that they're looking to leave, but like uh, some, there they're are people looking. out there just always open to opportunities and like are not really married to one thing. Um
0: I think one, never going to change that mindset of, yes, you should always be looking. Yes, always be looking. But it falls on the company to keep those associates engaged and engagement looks different for each associate, each industry, each company. And so people always say it's just, oh, just keep your, co- your employees engaged and, you know, have potlucks and, you know, fun things. But it's more than just that. How do you yeah. keep the ambers interested in this job? Okay. So she said that the research that she was doing got a little bit. <laughs> got a little bit boring. So how could you have stimulated this associate to say, you know, I know that you're a great talent and I want to keep you here. So what can I do to entice you to stay in this role? Can I give you I think- a more diverse research topic or give you other things to focus on or show you other opportunities in the company, like promote
1: those things? Pub- give you yeah. some publications, let you co-author some stuff.
2: Yeah, I think if, um that can <clears throat> lead to, uh I think it's really about how much innovation or new opportunities are being presented to your current employees. So, um, you know, like you said, for those who are always looking, who are educating themselves on the opportunities in the job market or what's going on, um, you need to ensure that your company is one of the companies who have those opportunities, you know, um, Mm -hmm. at my current company, I'm also learning that there's a culture among managers and stuff where, um, you know, they're very open with, like, letting their employees, like, leave and go work for another team if it's, if it suits them better. Or if, if there's a project or a group getting started up over here and you think they'll be a good fit, like, actually go and uh, recommend your employee for that group. You know what I mean? I think it's all about... Um, you know, helping your employees identify new opportunities mm-hmm. um, with within your group or within other parts of your company in order to keep them, or you, 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 as your group, making sure that you're creating those opportunities yourself by being innovative, starting new pilot programs, starting new practices, starting new projects. You know get their idea, um, their input on, so, you know, what else could we be doing, or what interesting idea or project or recommendation do you have for the group that you're working on now? And I think um, that would help a lot and go a long way.
0: And I think Amber is one that is is very good at follow through, and Melody is as well, so it's something that uh, this particular group of women on the podcast right now may take for granted, but and starting those new initiatives, you also have to follow through because we have a lot of companies who will say, oh, let's start this new program here or let's start this new initiative here. And it, that's all it is to get started. And then no one helps maintain
1: those programs. Then somebody drops the ball and it could have been something great, but then everybody spreads so thin that it's, you don't even really get to see the outcome or results of what could have been something great.
0: Right. And um, then also we, we have to take into account that we have a lot of people, most people who Want a new opportunity to keep them stimulated, or just you know want to grow as an associate? But what about those associates that we have that are comfortable where they are? They are not looking to grow into another role. They're happy where they are. I would say, from an HR perspective, you need to make sure that those people feel appreciated. You need to make sure that those people know their value to the company. If they have no interest in growing and moving from the role that they're in, um, because companies will lose great talent that they need in those particular roles because they fail to make sure that that person knows that they are appreciated and And that
2: they're yeah and that their value and that their choice choices are respected yeah so that's interesting that you brought that up because i was just literally on like a kind of fireside chat, kind of like company call, talking about women and career progression. And that was also brought up where, you know, some people, it was brought up where like some people, they don't want to be managers or they don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They want to be individual contributors. They don't want to manage people. Or so, you know, the Mm -hmm. path or the opportunities you think, um, you know, an employee should take advantage of might not be aligned with what they want. So being as an employer, being in tune with what your employees want, what they desire, how they, um, you know, how they want to draft their career progression, you know, what makes them happy, what will, you know, what changes you can make um, just being in tune and constantly checking in is something that's also very important in terms of employee re- retention.
1: And I like that. It's like, Right now, I feel like we had come from a space where employees feel like they have control over an employee and it's more about control than it is about, you know, independence. But I see that we are starting to move in a direction where like employees have a little bit more independence. And that just made me think about, you know, training I had recently where the company wanted to teach their employees on how to advocate for career development. And a part of that, it was just like, recognizing that you're the CEO of your career like not no one not anyone else so like a lot of times we come to a company and we're kind of just like waiting to be told what to do and this is what and we're waiting to be given that promotion and we're waiting to be recognized and then when you sit around and you're like kind of waiting for others to recognize you and and to progress your career you could be it's not it may not happen on your timeline you know so, right. yes. but you have Sometimes to realize that I control
2: this. <laughs> Absolutely, I recently um, developed a new mini mantra, and that was like promote yourself.
0: Right, okay. <laughs> right.
2: If 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 yes. your manager not gonna promote you, promote yourself. And what does that look I like? That. Sometimes that looks like finding a job at another company. Sometimes that looks like. Finding a job with a different group inside your company that you work for, it, mm-hmm. it falls back to always knowing you seeking out opportunities um, that aligns with your that aligns with your goals and what you want to do. Don't let just because somebody not gonna your manager not gonna promote you now or whatever. Don't let that define mm-hmm. your career journey. If you want to get promoted this year and not next year, go promote yourself. Find some. Somebody on a gonna board.
1: Apply for a fellowship. Yeah, absolutely. Promote yourself.
2: You you, you do have you. a lot of control, and um and just know that the company that you work for now, the people, the group that you work for now, is only temporary. And there's a lot of other companies and groups and managers and opportunities out there that will make you know just as good
1: as the where you are now, or even better. You know, so. So how do you feel about the perception that, because like, so we're all millennials and right now there's a certain sort of generalization that comes along with being identified as a millennial when it comes to uh, the workplace. And we're seen as, you know, impatient and, you know, difficult to work with and like, you know, not loyal and, you know, lazy to some respect. And now I, there's, I, uh, now companies may be on the side of we want to just hire, you know, older workers, right? We'll bring mm-hmm. the baby boomers back because at least we know they're going to stay here and they're going to try to work hard and, and, you know, put forth their best effort. How do y'all feel about that?
0: Well, one, I'm always going to resent the whole um, being loyal to a company. Um, cause these companies are not loyal to you. And I will scream that from the rooftops So I'm blue in the face, but outside of that little soapbox, um, I do think it's a little unfair to perceive like millennials or any one group as being lazy or impatient yeah, um, because they're being not. more okay. like because we're advocating more for ourselves. And it's like, Oh, you're impatient. So would you, if you have it your way, companies, if you have it your way, then. We would stay with this company for five to seven years, waiting for you to maybe give me a promotion. Yeah,
2: it's ludicrous. It's it's not impatience. It's it's strategy. We're being strategic. We got to be strategic about our career progression. And I will say, I feel like I've seen older um, employees and my peers kind of catch on. I've definitely heard from older <laughs> employees like. You know, you want to make it to the next level, you don't have to leave your company and like go to another company. Maybe I've seen, you know, um, have uh, I live in uh, Chicago. So a couple years ago, we had like a, a CIO of the state and, you know, big, awesome opportunity. Uh, he used to work at um, like Toyota, then, you know, working alongside our governor as, you know, chief information officer for or chief technical officer, one of those for the entire state. And that man was in that position for like a couple months. And then he went to go be like (laughs) the CTO of like another big, like technology company. And it was just, I don't, the governor didn't have any hard feelings or anything. You know what I mean? It was just like, that was what was best for his career. And um, yeah, I probably could fit into that category of, what somebody might um describe as not being loyal. But to be honest, I've never started a job and say, hey, I'm gonna leave this job in a year.
0: It's exactly. just
1: I have. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I feel when like, I'm in there,
1: <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It
0: should be,
2: you know, issue. Like it's part of business. It's the cost of doing business. Some people are gonna stay, some people are gonna go. You're gonna have turnaround. And that's just a part of business. And I think that's perceive loyalty
1: as well. Because for me, loyalty isn't always the time that you put in. For me, loyalty is like what is the impact? Like what has this if somebody can come in because consultant and this is me coming from my consultant space because we don't really It's not often that we're on for years and years and years like those those contracts have terms that end and like we're really coming in to accomplish a specific goal. And once that specific goal is accomplished then we move on and honestly, the more progress, the more the quicker you can get the job done the better it is then, and the longer it takes for you to get the job done, then it's just like, uh, is this the right consultant? Is this the right person? We're not getting the outcomes that we desire. And we done spent all this money in all these years. So for me, I, I would really like to challenge how we perceive loyalty, um, especially when it comes to these relationships with, you know, employer versus employee, because I think there's, there's employees that can come in and like, turn a company around in one year Um, and that person may, you know, come impact change and leave, but that person didn't come like ride the clock, (laughs) do some training and then left, you know, sort of thing. So, but do you
0: think that's like showing loyalty or showing effectiveness? Because I think you can come in and be a very effective at your job in a short amount of time. And people will perceive that as you not being quote unquote loyal, but you are, really good at your job
1: i think loyal is being committed to a company's best interests and so Mm. if the if this company's goal or mission is to accomplish this and Mm. that that stakeholder can get them there the time for me the time frame doesn't really dictate how loyal the person
0: how loyal right.
1: the person is, right? It's like, did this person come in and do something that contributed to the best interests of the company? Because that's what I would consider. Like this person was reliable. This mm-hmm. person um, was dependable. This person, you know, kept the company in mind and believed in the mission and values. And like, they, they met the goal versus you can have somebody that's been there for 20 years and ain't been doing nothing for 20 right. years. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, so that's a good point. But, Try to help people redefine what loyalty actually means when they're making claims that millennials or whoever isn't loyal.
1: And yeah, that's my millennial speaking though. Like I'm going to challenge you to reassess oh. how you, what you think of loyalty. Like when you say this person, like does really just being there that long make it that great? But you don't really have right. much to speak for in that 20, like you say, Oh, name five things that five high level impactful things. This person that been there for 20, 20 years did. And like, I would and see like, if they could do that. Right. Because is that really loyalty or did they just like waste expenses on somebody that they let slide under the radar without, you know, actually contributing to the growth of the company. I get that.
0: Um, also, um, I've seen people go work for a
2: company, leave for a bigger better opportunity that actually resulted in new business and continued business for the company that they left. Especially if you're working in like similar like industries and similar circles, um, I've seen people, you know, maybe let's say they're a manager or something at one company. They go move to a director role with more decision power at another company that then partners with the company that they left to, you know, mm-hmm. maybe unlock some new business opportunities or something. So um, mm-hmm. someone leaving you, leaving your company isn't always a bad thing, right? It could result in, you know, more opportunities for your business, actually.
1: That's a good point. It's not the end all be all. And this person can come gain some gr- gain some great skills and come back and contribute, pour into your company skills that they would have never developed if they weren't, if they didn't leave. But now they, then, now they have and more even value. even if they
0: don't come back, they're still showing loyalty right. to that initial company by throwing that initial company more business in the more impactful role they are and in, in the, the new business to Amber's point. So again, like both of y'all are saying, redefining what loyalty means and it's not just attached to a time frame. I think that's a great point.
1: So I believe don't burn the bridge down like, Even if you are leaving a job sooner than they would have desired, like, I feel like you always should leave, you know, gracefully to some extent because you never know. You just never know, really. (laughs) You never know when it's going to come back around. You never know when... (laughs) When you actually might need someone to vouch for you within that company or that person. Next thing you know, you you join a new company and that person's on the board of that company or something like that. And then you're just like, crap, I, re- I showed my hand that time. And now now they remember that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah,
0: I do think. Uh, and I, I think that gives us a good segue into our next topic as far as um, toxic workplaces. And you think of someone leaving a, the only time it would be okay to leave with a, in a, um, a blaze of fire is when you're in a toxic workplace. But, um, when people are saying, describing the toxic workplace, they always talk about their managers being toxic. Um, what about toxic coworkers? What's your opinion
1: on that? Well, I definitely uh, was reading an article earlier this week and, I liked it because it was saying, it, you know, it takes two to tango. And I think it was a Forbes article and the article was really talking about like, yes, we know that the narrative is management should be doing this and management should be doing that. And like management, the organization and management is responsible for the culture. But um that article really shined a light on what about the other facet and other aspects? of it's not just management doesn't represent the entire company. Um, and in order to create the culture, doesn't just consist of one group of people. So, um, if you don't have buy-in from your employees or your employees aren't really to go along with or try to give, um, or collaborate or work with these initiatives that are coming out from management or that, or things that management is trying to build, like, uh, is that on the flip side, employees can create a toxic workplace as well, and employees can be responsible for workplace being toxic as well, not just, um, managers maybe tolerating or promoting or contributing to, um, creating a culture wh- that people consider toxic. Okay.
0: Um, I agree that coworkers or that it's not just on managers. And yes, we manage a lot of responsibility falls on management to kind of lead the charge of a workspace, not being toxic, but that's not the, the being be all end all. Um, and I have worked in places with people who are just very unpleasant to work with. Um, there's no other way to put it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I consider myself to be someone who tries to be reflective and and figure out, you know, how am I adding to the problem so I can address my own actions. But sometimes you just don't mesh well with people and they can be kind of toxic or certain behaviors that they are participating in or perpetuating is allowed to continue. Maybe management isn't aware of it or management doesn't see a problem with, like doesn't see how toxic that behavior is. And it just makes it hard for number one, the needs of the business to get done. Like, I'm not getting any work done because I'm so focused on trying not to interact with this person in a negative way or so on guard that I can't get as much work done as I need to. Or, you know, just always feeling like you're
1: on high alert. Yeah, because I feel like employees are interacting with each other more than likely more than they're interacting with managers. So Mm -hmm. but there's also, uh, you know, it start everything starts at the top and, you know. Um, You know, if the top is not modeling the right behavior and stuff like that, then, of course, you know, below the hierarchy is not going to represent what it is that management models. But Mm. I think that um, I think that there's a response, the extra responsibility on management to model what it is that they want to see. Uh, but it, then again, they also can't turn a blind eye to those that are clearly tainting the culture, because there's there are certain places where, like, there's really that one person that um, taints the energy of the group. Mm-hmm. And there there's that one person that, you know, um, always saying something negative or always complaining or and I challenge you to identify, like, am I that person? Hey. Mm-hmm. A. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And like, and work on changing if that's the case, but as well as like managers, I feel like there, it is worth having a conversation, not even putting a burden on because I feel like we know that about, you know, our coworker who acts that way, but Mm -hmm. we all feel like it's somebody else's responsibility. It's that own person's interpersonal responsibility. It's their manager's responsibility. It's their teammates responsibility is everybody's responsibility except for the, the people who are visibly seeing it and experiencing it and, and that's when you have it to come up it. with a culture of accountability where you're not sitting here trying to figure out um this is someone else's responsibility because you're a part of the culture you actually can say something to that colleague as well like you know have you noticed you know that that <laughs> You know that you're this way or like, you know, whenever you say this, whenever we're this 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 is the impact that it makes, you know, sort of thing. And it's hard, I think, to have difficult conversations. It's hard to say, like, you're the Debbie Downer or like it's difficult to collaborate with you because I don't want to complain about, you know, your 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 life all day. I don't want to complain about the workplace culture all day or your supervisor or your, t- or that team member that you can't stand. Um, right. But people tolerate a lot because it's the fear of conflict and it's, it's the fear of, I don't want to have any issues with this person. So I'm just going to tolerate it. But it really, but then it taints their experience, um, in the workplace. And that's something where like we've begun to kind of challenge people to,
0: be like that small dissenter, make that small change because it doesn't have to be an overhaul. And you just, you know, go off on that coworker who's always complaining to you. Like I'm sick of hearing your problems today, but you can, you know, gently shift the conversation in a different way. I've had people come to me who um try to bait me into complaining about another person. Then it's not that what they're saying is wrong, mm-hmm. but. I choose consciously not to participate in that conversation. So right. I will turn the conversation in a different way, either related back to work or related to something different because I don't want to be involved in that. And that's just as simple as when you're growing up and your parents tell you, Oh, it's not nice to gossip. You shouldn't participate in gossip. It's the same concept. Use the same tools. Just don't participate in it. So well, either yeah, that person's going get the hint or nice. they're going to go somewhere else. And a lot of times, when people are intent on gossiping or complaining, if they're not getting that same energy back from you, they're going to go find someone else.
1: And I'll so, say, and if, if, toxic, if that, your culture no, is toxic, it's not mm-hmm. just one group. That's true. But that's and a so whole now conversation. You think about what. Well, what role am I playing in it, and mm-hmm. what can I do to make it better?
0: Right, and then and I can't. I won't say that one person can turn around a whole toxic Because one person, person environment.
1: not but, what I'm saying. Yep.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. But first, I know certain people would take it that way. Like, oh, you know, well, I can't do it by myself. You do what you can. And then if you notice that what you're doing, what you can't, isn't changing your experience there. And that's when it may be time to start looking for other opportunities. Yeah. And by doing what you can, trying to turn the conversations around, maybe speaking out to management about it. Um using all the resources at your disposal before you say all right you know well i'm done with this and only you know what resources at your disposal but then we also have people who not just the complainer but people who are really high performers and they feel like because they bring the company
1: results they can do what they want right and that, and, and oftentimes they can right and
0: so it takes um i think in those cases it does put a lot more responsibility on management to say, I love the results that you're getting and you're, you are still going to have to make some changes if you want to remain successful here. Yeah. Because you're negatively impacting everybody else and it's not going to help us as a company to get great results out of you, but then everybody else who's working, I'm not getting them to perform at their highest potential because you're tanking them.
1: Yep, I agree a good little topic there and I think on that note we'll wrap it up right
0: yes this has been a long episode
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes so we thank you Amber for joining us and uh, we hope to see you all next time Right, thanks for listening have a great week